Welcome back to Label, the stories, rumors, and legends of Tooth & Nail Records. I'm your host, Matt Carter. Okay, today on the show, we got James from Cry the Afflicted and Ryan from Secret and Whisper. James was the guitarist and did a lot of writing and arranging for Cry the Afflicted, and Ryan's the drummer. And this makes a really cool conversation because they're from the same town in British Columbia in Canada, another regional pocket that Tooth & Nail was able to find some talent and get it going. Both Cry the Afflicted and Secret and Whisper were picked up by some combination of Jimmy Ryan and Chad Johnson who were scouting around in about 2006. And both of these bands had exciting but short careers and it was near the peak of Tooth & Nail's success. But for one reason or another, and we'll get into that, their careers didn't last that long, and there was seems like there was more left on the table for these guys. In the episode, we cover the scene they came from, how their careers unfolded, some of the complexities there, and what ended the runs of these bands that a lot of people were fans of. And James and Ryan, along with some other guys from Secret and Whisper, that's Jason from Secret and Whisper, and Garrett and Nick from Cry the Afflicted, they joined together to have a new band. It's called In the Arena. They got a bunch of new music. They have something coming out today. So this is kind of the premiere um, in some sense to let the world know that there's there's new music from these guys. So I'm really happy to be able to facilitate that. You can find the new music on Spotify and YouTube. But there's links in the show notes today. So hope you enjoy this conversation when we get to catch up with these guys and uh, get their perspective because we haven't heard from them in quite a while. All right, let's do it. We got a bunch of stuff to cover today. But I just kind of want to reconnect with you guys because I hadn't seen y'all in a, in a while. So um, I don't think uh, we actually haven't met before. Um, I, I think okay. the one tour that the band did, uh, I wasn't on, which okay. I regret immensely. That was the, that one tour. You <laughs> yeah. did, you didn't do that tour. So who was playing drums in Secret Whisper on that Secret and Whisper so, on that tour? A friend of ours named Tristan um, was actually filling in for that tour because that was uh, that was right after my departure um, from the band. Okay. So I was still like okay. involved in the band, but not in like a touring sense. Okay, I remember that. And what year was that? I mean, we'll get all that. I mean, this is all good detail, but we're not going to go. I exactly hope there's not a lot of questions about years because <laughs> I'm so not a lot. So bad some. with that stuff. <laughs> yeah. That that was 2009. 2009. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you left Secret Whisper uh, in 2009, mm-hmm. which was before it was after Great White Whale, but before Teenage Fantasy came out. Did you so play Teenage on Fantasy that one? It was the last record that I did with them. Um, okay. So kind of the, the deal was I was like, you know what, we'll finish this record and, and whatever else. And then I'll do anything I possibly can. I just couldn't um, based on my career opportunity, which we can get into. But um, we'll get yeah, back I just I just had to step on, step back from touring them. So. We'll get back to it. What I'd love to do, since I have both of you, um, is do, uh, let's see if I can even make sense out of format such a conversation as this. But sure. what's fascinating that we'll, we're going to, I'm just going to put out some leads here and then we'll go backfill it with conversation. Um, so what we're, what will ultimately end up today in, in reverse is the fact that you guys have a new band together, which I guess this is like functions as an announcement of or something like that. Totally. Yeah. Right. You don't have any, we don't have any more, um, I mean, this might be the first press, you know, that, that it gets, but you guys have a new band called In the Arena, which Mm -hmm. is members of Secret and Whisper and Cry of the Afflicted. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the demos are great. We'll talk about it. We'll listen to some of it. Not demos. I'm saying, not your demos. The recording itself is forthcoming is very awesome. So I talked to James about it, but Ryan, I love it. The drums are great and it's awesome stuff. Cool. Yeah. Okay, so what we need to get is backstories on both the 
um, you guys as individuals, <laughs> how you found Tooth and Nail, the band Cry the Afflicted, the band yeah. Secret and Whispers, Upstarts, how they got connected with Tooth and Nail and how they went away, and then sure. how you're back now. But all this, to me, houses in the um, under the heading of Tooth and Nail Solid State having, having a connection to Canada. On this podcast, a lot of times we talk about the different regions – um, the Northwest, Florida is a huge one. Orange County is very important. Um, mm-hmm. There's a but you know, uh, you, lots of scenes and regions where these hot spots of talented people get together, um, mm-hmm. and then pop something out, and then it connects in the network during the ages of social, not even social media, but just barely the internet and the pre-internet. Um, and then we've got you know Canada here, and particularly Western Can- Canada. And so mm-hmm. help me connect the location what the scene was like, what you guys, you know, how you guys are in the Tooth and Nail, you know, how your Tooth and Nail kids, what your favorite songs are. I'm about to stop talking, but I had to just get, no, my, get my mind around this whole conversation so we can move through it. But, yeah. um, and I know Jane, I know Cry the Afflict and everything's from Kelowna. Mm-hmm. And and is that NBC or is that in Alberta? Yeah, so Kelowna's like uh, three hours from Vancouver, north. Yeah, I've been yeah, there, so, I've yeah. been there. Um, but it is NBC, It's, it's right? NBC, yeah. Okay, and Secret and Whispers also from Kelowna. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so because Kelowna is a tiny town, yeah. it's a beautiful town. Yeah, um, I went swimming in the lake there one day on an off day while we were doing a tour across Canada from west to east, and I don't remember if we saw. Did I, did I see you, Jane? Were you there when we came through? I can't remember. Um, uh, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm going to be the worst guest here. I okay. don't remember anything. Okay. <laughs> Before the record, I've been to Kelowna and it's. Well. And it's a, it's beautiful, beautiful town and everything. But so there's a lot of talent in this small. Is that you consider a small town in in British Columbia, not even near the coast? Yeah. And yeah. there, tell me about that place and how how this scene you know emerges. So Kelowna is like uh, just I think just around a hundred thousand people, but it's um, yeah, always had a really good music scene. Um, mm-hmm. There's quite a few bands um, like the band that. Um, that Secret and Whisper was before it was Secret and Whisper. Uh, was kind of like the first band to get signed. They got signed to Maverick Records, um, and it was called Stutterfly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after that, there was um, another band called The Bleeding Alarm that that got signed. Um, they got signed got to signed, Sony. They got signed to Sony, uh, mm-hmm. and then and then we were signed to Solid State, and uh, Secret and Whisper were signed to Tooth and Nail, like right around the same time. So. It was like we a the city ended up on Tooth and Nail too, or what is it? What were they called? Was it still We Are the City or the City? I can't remember. But um, right. another, yeah, another Kelowna band they ended up on Tooth and Nail as well. Well, I mean, they they relocated to Vancouver, quote unquote, but they started off in Kelowna. And that's and Stutterfly. You were the drummer in Stutterfly, Ryan. I was, yeah. Um, okay. I wasn't the original drummer, but um, that was kind of my my first start into this world and a more serious note for sure. And that was pretty early. So they pioneered, they must've made those connections early and then stuff came out of that because they were always around. And from what I remember in 2000, I don't know exactly the years, but one, two, mm-hmm. three, they mm-hmm. were on the festivals. If you're at Tom Fest or you would see yeah. them on the, these very small little, the things that were have they'd be at the, the clubs, like you would see their name a lot and they'd be at, mm-hmm. I, I don't remember exactly, but things like Tom Fest is my memory of, of st- what Stutterfly was doing. Yeah, like even they were kind of like the the big regional band in that era. Like they started officially in I think nineteen ninety eight, which is crazy to think about. But um, yeah, they they were the ones that kind of pioneered getting on the road in our area at least, um, and really putting on like the big local shows. Um, 
And their big break was actually mp3.com um, when that started. That's right. That's right. Um, so that's what kind of helped them really get out there. Um, and that kind of, you know, started the, the snowball towards the band getting signed and, you know, going down that road. And then actually after they got signed is when, when I ended up joining mp3.com is an important thing. I don't have known if we've talked about it very much, but it was big for a lot of bands and it was still pre mm. MySpace or pre anything, but it was the first thing where if I remember correctly, cause we were putting demos on that Emory demos were on there in our first recordings in 2001 and two. Mm. And you, it would just be this sheet. You, it was like a spreadsheet. You could see how many plays you got. It was the first time you could put music on the internet mm-hmm. and see how many people were listening to it and who, and I have no idea how people were finding it, but they were finding it. And it was like, yeah. oh, we have provable numbers. Something Like it was something that could be, it could just happen. And I don't know how it was happening or what happened, but you would see these certain bands and they would just start getting plays just because mm-hmm. it was there. And it was almost that easy. I guess it had to be good to some degree, but a lot of the stuff that was getting a lot of plays wasn't that good yet. But nonetheless, sure. it was the earliest times where you could both hear stuff and track the numbers of it and they would pay like we were getting checks for $80 or $70 way before we were signed or anything. And it was kind of small, but it mm-hmm. meant something. And then labels started looking at that. And I guess you could get deal record deals from it and stuff. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. Cause that's like where we're at today in the music industry is just a much more elevated. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. kind of where that kind of stuff started where, you know, before that you had to, spend 200 days of the year on the road just to try and gather any followers. And then, and then yeah. now, it know. was one of the first direct things. I bet the royalty rate was much better than it is today. Whatever it did. <laughs> probably, probably. Cause we were getting checks for real dollars and we had no, we didn't even know we had any fans. We couldn't even sell tickets locally at the time. So yeah, um, that's very, yeah. And then now we just have better versions of that with faster internet and better recordings and we're better mm-hmm. at our instruments. That's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's really crazy. Okay. Well, that sets the scene really well. So let me tell me more about growing up in Kelowna and how you found this scene or knew about it or knew what kind of music to play or copy or aspire to be, you know, individually, if you want to do that. Um, um, and I don't, I don't care who goes first. You, you start James. Okay, yeah, so um, for me, I was probably in eighth grade. Um, I was when I moved to Kelowna, and I got plugged in uh, with people here, and that's kind of when I learned about the whole tooth and nail thing. And that's, uh, so I played, like, music a little bit before, like, in band and just stuff like that. Um, but I wasn't really playing music until I, until I moved here. And then that's, like, I heard MXPX and all those, like, kind of first-generation tooth and nail bands, and that was... That was kind of what got me into to being interested in that kind of music and playing that kind of music. And this uh, is in 2000 or so? No, this would be um, 98, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, was that, it all connected to being Christian? Like, what was it that t- the tooth and nail thing to you? Yeah, that you described it then. That was definitely from being involved with like like youth group sort of thing. And, and that that's kind of where the connection from that. Before that, before I got plugged in with that, like I still loved, you know, like my first two like CDs, compact discs I owned were like Green Day Dookie and Offspring Smash. So I I was into those kinds of music. Um, But then once I kind of got plugged into to that network, then it was like like MXPX and Craig's Brother and like Dogwood and The Undecided and like all the real kind of, you know, 
older school. Slick Shoes was huge. And that was a youth leader or a youth group or a mail order or that somebody had the CDs? Like, how would you interface with it and, yeah. get it and buy it? <clears throat> we actually, there was a Christian bookstore in Kelowna. I don't know what it, Ryan, if you remember what it was called, but... It's, yeah, but it, it's changed names over the years. I but I would, I would literally just go in there and flip, flip CDs over until I saw the Tooth and Nail Solid State logo, and wow. then just buy them. Kind of. That's great. How yeah. about you, Ryan? You know, admittedly, I, I wasn't a Tooth and Nail kid growing up. I kind of, um, I kind of got introduced to it as the years went on. So um, I started in music kind of the same time as, as James did. Um, you know, band class. And then um, as, as I kind of progressed, I got involved with playing at youth group and that because my friends were and like I was you know involved with different programs um, in youth group and that kind of stuff growing up. But um, probably I don't know, ninth grade, um, that's when I started getting introduced to stuff. I, I was looking at my list. I was like, man, what, what tooth and nail bands did I really get? Into? I remember Ace Troubleshooter was one of the first ones um like that i kind of got into that i can think of um from that and then obviously bands like mxpx and that i was introduced to like through jordan chase actually who plays bass in secret whisper um but yeah um it, it was kind of just through um influences from friends and showing me stuff and, and i and i played in a, a pop punk band when i was in the 10th grade when i started and a bunch of guys from youth group. And that's where I started to see so much more of like the, the tooth and nail and solid state catalog, because, you know, we met through church and youth group and um, by osmosis, I was just introduced to that. But uh, before that, a lot of my music taste was um, secular. Like my first, you know, double cassette I got was uh, um, smashing pumpkins, melancholy and fit sadness for my fifth grade birthday. And, you know, I grew up in a pretty, musical household from like a listening standpoint but i was the only person that really actually played it so um i was i was pretty stoked to have like a pretty diverse um musical um you know uh, upbringing in that sense for sure awesome do you guys say anything come to your mind as uh very important or meaningful songs to you in the catalog I'm so bad with song. I'm so bad with anything to do with memory, um, but song names. Um, but definitely there's like records. Like um, I actually saw like um, one of the like first like kind of outside touring band shows I ever saw in Kelowna was Dogwood and the Undecided came through. Um, and it was like, those were like more like aggressive kind of than stuff I'd listened to before. And it kind of blew my mind. And um, so those were like kind of really early ones. Uh, but for me, it so was the more, live experience of seeing it was magical to you. Totally. And it was yeah. in this tiny little place with maybe 50 people there or something. But it was. Uh, but yeah, they're definitely like standout albums like um, like MXPX Life in general was like like a huge kind of one for me. Um, Craig's Brother Homecoming and then like Switch Shoes Burnout. Those were like ones that were like, like kind of game changing for my perspective on uh, you know, like punk, punk rock music and that sort of stuff. Now give us just a little something to listen to or play a clip of more. It's more important. And I know song names are always, you know, I don't know any song names either because most of our genre has, <laughs> the song names are not very straight ahead, you know, yeah. anyway. So yeah. how about you, Ryan? Does anything specific yeah. come to mind of a song or a live experience or anything like that? 
I'm going to go back to self-titled Ace Troubleshooter. I just like burnt that album out. Um, and I think I liked it because it had like some punk rock feel. It had some just straight up good songwriting feel to it. Like I just, for whatever reason, there's the melodic aspect of that record really, really stuck with me. Um, a little bit later, but first May record. Um, mm-hmm. The Ever- Oh, called? no, not the Everglow. No, no, I mean, I love that Destination Beautiful. That was- um, the mm-hmm. Destination Beautiful. That was a little bit later on, but... Um, that was a huge one for me. Uh, I'm such a sucker for just like good, you know, pop rockish. Um, and then, um, what is it called? Uh, the one under oath record uh, with uh, when the sun sleeps. Oh, I remember yeah. there was a sampler that was that with that video. Yeah. Um, and it also had like a beloved song video on it too. And yeah, that was just uh, that was a big part of it too. Um, that's the changing of times. Live, is the album the, changing yeah. of times? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it was. Um, and that was like outside of from like a you know tooth and nail solid state standpoint. That was those are two of the big ones and kind of that genre that um, really stuck out to me at the time. good stuff okay so that grounds us pretty well um so when we get in which band started first let's try to, to ping pong it that way did cry the afflicted start first or secret and whisper well secret and ryan can kind of talk about how secret and whisper yeah. came about but that was they were definitely before us and in, in a different yeah. variation because it evolved from Stutterfly. yeah okay mm-hmm. it, it did yeah so um the the very short um, summary of that is that um, Stutterfly kind of hit a point um, where you know we got dropped by our label Maverick Records. They went through a bunch of reorg stuff, like most majors do. Um, and then you know we did that for a little bit. And then our management, who was based out of California, um, was like, "Guys, it's just not viable to do this anymore." Um, and then our, our I, I always remember this day. I was um, just skating at the skate park, and I got a text message, and it's like, "Hey, you know, Chris just quit our band, who was a singer of Stutterfly." So I was like, okay, put my phone in my pocket and just kind of kept going on with my day. Because um, at that point, I was a, you know, I've been touring with the band and we've done a record and done all this stuff for coming on, you know, three and a half years. And that's all I've kind of done since high school. Um, so we still decided we wanted to keep going. Um, and we actually asked Charles, um, who was the singer of the Bling Alarm, who was signed. And I know he was kind of at odds with the band at the time um with his own band if he wanted to try out for stutterfly so uh one thing led to another and we kind of you know decided that's going to be a great fit um and we kind of kept going as stutterfly for a little bit and then we got to the point where like man this is just you know not the band anymore so um that's when we kind of hit the reset button and decided that secret whisper is going to be born and that was around two th- end of 2006 2007 mm-hmm. 
um, was when. So a lot had happened in the those years as far as the scene had really blown up over those years where Stutterfly had declined and not made the cut. I mean, that's a a brutal way to say that's not accurate. But no, you're hundred percent. But it didn't make the transition. (laughs) You know, it was seen as the old. I mean, I'm making this up, but that's my sense um, that it didn't. Yeah, it wasn't going to go. It somehow didn't blow up with the scene. And was going to wind 100%. down. I don't know if it's because it started earlier or anything about the internals of the band. But mm-hmm. at that, the opportunity for bands that sounded like that, and especially with Charles's vocals and stuff, I mean, that, that was bit, I mean, that was, you know, r- the right, there was a lot of opportunity there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Starter, Starterfly, which used to be called Uncle's Private Jet, which we won't even talk about that, but, <laughs> um, it, it came up in an era where like, you know, the Deftones were like the pioneers mm-hmm. of singing, screaming and um, thing about bands like Spine Shank and System of a Down and like all that kind of stuff. And it was just a completely different era. So when that was really going, um, Stutterfly's kind of root sound was relevant. But, um, you know, you can kind of see the progression of earlier records towards the last one we put out. And it was kind of heading towards the direction of what was relevant when all this kind of came crashing down so you really hit it well in saying that like you know it kind of served its purpose in the time and it kind of just hit its expiry date for what it was um and then charles coming in uh, really brought that new life and kind of let us reset a little bit that's kind of uh you know name changes identity changes are kind of a way where a lot of us were able to just barely skirt our new metal selves and <laughs> and find something new that was emerging that was exciting that we were fine because there was new things that were happening but we were listening to i mean it wasn't just a few years before where we were just listening to corn and kid rock and whatever was on the radio yeah. type of stuff uh you know norma jean was ludicrous and they were kind of new like a lot of us have more new metal roots than anybody mm-hmm. was admitting at the time <laughs> that it's easier to talk about now yeah, we all had those pants and we all did the chicken scratch, but but we found this other thing that was emerging that was like organic and even more in a ways like and I think that's what really defines the thing that was stumbled into. I guess it was stumbled into in a way because it all came up from the underground. Like it all mm-hmm. from these local stuff and it was about being heavy and it was about mixing singing and screaming, but moving yeah. away from the straight ahead and the hip hopiness and some of those other elements and it had this emotional element to it. Um, and Absolutely. Then, so it wasn't hardcore bands either. And I think that's what is fascinating about, um, you know, Cry the Afflicted, for instance. It's like, well, not a hardcore band, but it's it's heavier than emo bands. So it's, mm-hmm. appro- it's post-hardcore. It's approaching this, but it comes from some melodic place and gets heavier and heavier versus hardcore bands that are all heavy. And then eventually, you know, like Under Oath was uh, just a heavy band that eventually sang. But now mm-hmm. you've got these singy bands that are getting heavier and heavier towards breakdowns and and adding screams. And so that was that the as those two merged together, you know, this whole thing blows up in two thousand, you know, four to seven mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like that. Absolutely. And so you made Secret and Whisper. You know, it was built around Charles's vocals in some ways. Like that, that really mm-hmm. um, that that particular. Um, flavor of this of that genre of things that was just like um, how would you describe how would you describe that because I think that's part of the defining feature is that um, I mean I, I, I would just say high vocals but what what yeah, how do you, like how do y'all speak about that ball crunching melodies as we've jokingly um, yeah like the funny thing is that for Charles is that um, Charles 
wasn't trying to play a part like that was just him like that was just his vocal range and that's kind of where he sat and I think that time was really interesting because there was a lot of people trying to be things that they weren't um and just to kind of fit in with that and thankfully um that was just where where Charles was and that's where he kind of uh sat naturally um Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, there was definitely a, a period of time where that style of singing um, was the kind of the thing. And I think for us, it just kind of worked out. Um, and I mean, the band itself, too, like we found that uh, the, the past of Stutterfly was restrictive in so many things, and especially songwriting was one of it. And I think Seek and Whisper outside of vocals allowed us to just kind of open things up a lot. Mm. Like Jordan and I were talking about this the other day about how like from like a like a programming synth loops, like, you know, Bjork's one hands down our biggest influence um, when it comes to that kind of stuff. And we had tried doing that with Stutterfly and it was kind of like, yeah, but um, with Secret and Whisper, I mean, all bets were off. We could yeah. just go in there fresh and be like, you know what? We want to have a song that is just all electronic with Charles singing over it. And we, mm-hmm. and so we did. Um, and we wanted to have like periods of time when there was just a break and we just had, you know, stuff dynamically um, that was a little bit, um i wouldn't say out of the box in general but for us in a songwriting standpoint it really allowed that so the combination of having charles's you know fresh blood in the group and then having the freedom to just open things up was like really big for us so how would you describe the you know the way the the music was is it uh it's technical like uh, experimental heavy like you know it was free in that sense but what terminology what ways did you describe the the way you compose music and then second part of that question is did charles did y'all compose music and charles then compose vocals on top or did you did he songwrite or did you interactively songwrite that stuff so it was it was honestly a a pretty big group effort so um jordan was always the guy and still to this day is always the spearhead guy like jordan wrote i would probably say for the first record 75 to 80 percent of all the melodies um charles would come in and kind of make it his own um but jordan was always the guy that would bring the hey guys i have this idea um and i know lots of times bands have that we have that kind of in 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 the arena as well with james being that guy um hey i have this this idea song structure and then we get in the room and play it a bunch and revise and do all that kind of stuff um but you know i would say as far as describing um what the band is i mean yeah, you know, we tried to be experimental, we tried to be heavy, we tried to be, you know, whatever, but the core of all our songs was just melody um, and just straight up pop structure, for lack of better words, always having a good chorus, you know, bringing parts back so they're memorable, like making sure when we're arranging melodies that, hey, can someone sing along with this um, in, in the crowd? Is it memorable? Like all that kind of stuff. So as much as we are trying to always kind of, you know, push the, the boundaries for our band, um, we always wanted to make sure that we didn't get too lost in, you know, trying to find ourselves. We wanted to just have good songs at the end of the day. Um, that was our number one concern. That's cool. And Jordan is an awesome guy. I didn't realize that he was that much of the, the creative drive there. And that's rare oh, yeah. for, for a bass player. Yeah. He's um, a, he's an amazing guitar player too. Yeah. He just, uh, bass he, he he i think uh, i would speak for jordan saying that um he loves the fact that um he is actually a bass player and not a guitar player playing mm-hmm. bass he's kind of a bass player that can play guitar as well 
Well, you know, my personal opinion, no offense at all to the other guys, but Jordan is my favorite person in the band. I've sp- oh, I spent yeah. the most time with him on the tour that we were on, and he's a very open person. Like a Oh, yeah. He's an out there, open person that is so easy for me to connect with. I, You know, I, lo- I love that guy. I've got some hilarious stories about him. I won't even... We won't even get to him today, but he's, he's crazy. I love Jordan. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize he was that much of the um, of that. So thank you, you know, for that. Oh, so yeah. that, that's a pretty good picture of who Secret and Whisper is. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's more to do there, but let's catch up on Cry of the Afflicted. What, what is yes. the Cry of the Afflicted's trajectory, James? Um, and how, and, and, and you, and that was happening. You were already aware of Stutterfly and Secret and Whisper. Were they, how do you how do, do you know about them in your town and then your band evolves? Oh uh, yeah, so um, so like Ray, like when we were still in high school, we had a punk rock band, and that's really what um, that's really kind of essentially what our new project with Ryan and I um, and the other guys is just an extension from a band that we had in high school, um, and then that band. Um, so when we were touring, or sorry, when we were playing shows locally, we were always playing with Uncle Ed's Private Jet, and and which was the the um, predecessor to uh, Sutterfly, and uh, and the music industry or, or the music scene in Kelowna is so um, kind of intertwined. Um, our guitar player in in this new project in the arena and in Secret and Whisper and Stutterfly was in our original punk rock band as well. So um, that's Jason. Um, so um, so all the the bands have always kind of been really intertwined in lots of different ways. Um, so as far as Cry the Afflicted, um, it was kind of right after high school. Um, Nick, who is the bass player in Cry the Afflicted, and Troy was the drummer. Um, they actually uh, went off to uh, and did a music program at a Bible college um, down in Vancouver, and uh, they so they were kind of getting back involved with music. Um, we hadn't been playing in in a number of years, and they came back for the winter break, and uh, we'd just been always messaging back and forth about trying to get some music together. And, uh, when they came back for winter break, we, um, spent a bunch of time just getting together and practicing and messing around. And then, um, at the end of the winter break, they said, we're not going back. We're just going to stay and and start to pursue this, um, in in some way or another. So that was kind of how it started. Um, how did Garrett get, get there? So it was just, uh, it was just uh, messaging guys and wanting to get people. Uh, initially, there was um, there was a guy named Dell who came out and played guitar for our uh, first uh, first maybe jam or two, and he was in another band with Troy. Initially, what was what was their band called, Ryan? Darkside Vendor. No, <laughs> no, no, no. With <laughs> with yeah, oh. that's with Dell and Troy. <laughs> uh, God, what was their band called? Um... Dude, I don't even remember. There was uh, too many back then. Super yeah. like new metal. Um, yeah. So and then we um and then we had heard uh, Ryan was actually friends with a guy named Steve who ended up being the guitar player in, in Cry the Afflicted. So it was just kind of messaging guys and and getting everyone out. The interesting thing about it is um, in our old band, which was which was called About Face, I was the drummer actually. So mm-hmm. so when they when uh, Troy and Nick started saying, hey, we want to get some guys together to play. Um, well, there was already a drummer, um, and so I borrowed a guitar and and came out and and uh, and that's kind of when I picked up guitar more seriously. I'd always kind of messed around with it. Um, so yeah, kind of from that that time, that would have been two thousand three, okay. and that's when we just went um, kind of full on with it and 
and started. And, um, and what about Garrett, Garrett joins? Garrett right away was there right off the hop. Okay. Probably our first first jam. He came out or really early on. Okay. Oh, James, your mic's cutting out just a little bit. I don't know why. It okay. was fine until just now, but. Is it better now? Seems like it. Yeah, we'll keep going. Okay. I'll let you know if it cuts out, but I didn't quite hear what you said. But anyway, Garrett was there from um, from the beginning of that, 2003. And you weren't a hardcore band. What style of music were you trying to make? What we did you think? Like, how did you think about that? Uh, I don't know. We all liked heavy music. Um, but for me, I've always been like, I've always been a really like a pop guy. Like I love song structure. Like if you listen to any of the mm-hmm. cry, the afflicted stuff, like they're the song structure is just straight up pop song structure um, with heavy built in. And that's always kind of been my, like, I always try to think of things from like a song perspective, like how, you know, from start to finish. Um, so I liked heavy stuff, um, but I always, it was always more important to me to kind of write, you know, well put together songs. Yeah. Um, but I, like, I think back, like Thrice has always been kind of a huge band. Um, so for me, so I was listening to a lot of stuff like that when we started um, and when we recorded our first DP. And then shortly after that, I got like a major, like, um, like European metal bug. Like I was listening to like in flames soil work like that's. And so that really, really influenced our, um, the writing of our, our full, our first full length that we self-produced. Um, that's like, yeah, I was, everything was all like riffs and squeals and like, yeah, yeah. It was, every, yeah riffs and squeals and kind of breakdowns, but not based in that fully, but it's like a, a tool belt full of all these different things, you know, yeah. but song based in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was kind of the that was kind of the direction that um, you know we started out, and then it got a little bit heavier, and then uh, that's kind of the direction of it. So let's talk about how you each were then able to interface and be signed and stuff like that. And I know James, for you guys, it was just through you know it was Jimmy uh, Jimmy Ryan um, connection, well, uh, and a- Jimmy Ryan was your guy at the label at just just the right time i guess he was a and r at that time or tell me about that well yeah it's actually you guys are a huge part of that too because um if you i don't know if you remember but um cody cody robinson who was our Mm -hmm. manager was Mm -hmm. was out with you guys as you were managing that's right and uh we came down to to see you guys at seattle warp tour at the gorge and uh we were there hanging out and uh we're i remember we were there hanging out in the bus and Jimmy was there and uh, that was the first time I met Jimmy and him and I just hit it off like, like really, really well. And we had just finished, like had just finished completing our full length, like self self produced full length album and uh, basically got it to him right there um, on your guys's bus. And uh, apparently him, I think it was him and Chad Johnson drove out to the gorge together. And uh-huh. uh, apparently they listened to the album, like just on repeat all the way back to Seattle and then, uh, and then it was shortly after that, uh, the wheels were in motion to, to start signing. But, um, Jimmy had just come to tooth, uh, to tooth nail solid state. So we were his first, uh, the first band that he was like officially his as an a mm-hmm. So yeah, I was kind of, I always, that was kind of the cool, the connection that, you know, that we've always had like what between Emery and us is like, it was really that first kind of moment of do you know i totally forgot about that (laughs) just now (laughs) that our tour manager cody who was misery signals tour manager so we met cody because he was tour managing 
misery signals when we toured with 18 visions and just really hit it off with him he was great so he mm-hmm. went from them to us and stayed with us for years when we were you know really at um it was the first person that ever really worked for us that we really liked and trusted and thought was great so um love cody um and yeah he's a bc guy so he was your and he's like our tour manager's like oh i managed some bands in canada or whatever and that's you guys and then mm-hmm. okay I, for, I don't remember that day or or them mm-hmm. on the bus or jimmy or any of that but that makes sense now that you put it there. Totally. So thanks for reminding me <laughs> that's cool yeah so then we went through um it was like re- happened relatively quickly but um one of the biggest things that um that was a challenge with the whole thing is um, I was basically the predominant songwriter as far as like the music um, standpoint. And, uh, and so we had just finished writing a full length and then the uh, solid state tooth now we're like, we like it, but we, we think you guys should do a new record and here's kind of the timeline. And so we, we had to write a new record in a very condensed, like if I remember correctly, it was like, for sure under six months, like maybe five months, four months until mm-hmm. we um, were kind of getting booked in to, to go in and uh, record it. Um, so that was like, you, you know, like they always kind of say you have your whole life to write your first record. And then you, you know, when yeah. you're doing the second one, it was, it was, um, it was kind of a rough period because we were practicing three nights a week. We were all working full time. And then I would basically come home from work, put on my little, digital amp with headphones and just try to write something. So I'd have it ready for the next day or two so we could start to kind of compile it together. Mm-hmm. So um, like I, the unveiling was the record we did released with uh, solid state. And I think it's a great record, but you know, if we would have had six months more or, you know, maybe we're able to write it and do it a little bit more organically. It's uh, you know, who knows how it would have. How wow. It so you out. feel like something was left on the table there, like could have been better. Definitely. Just, and I think, I think for me, just because, um, like my, uh, like I, my musical influence and what's influencing me to write changes like all the time. Um, and so I was kind of like in a transitional thing where the last album was, was heavier, more metal based. And I wanted to do stuff that was, you know, a little bit more, um, I guess say pop centered if, you know, in a, in a heavy music context. Um, and then there was, we ended up somewhere kind of in this weird middle place um, that, you know, might have, some of that stuff might have been worked out a little bit more if we would have had more time to sit with it. And um, that record is recorded in Chico, California by Jeff Schneewise from Number One Gun. Yeah. So that's another fascinating part of that. Tell me about that. Yeah, that was, that was awesome. Um, so we, obviously, Number One Gun, if we're talking about Tooth and Nail bands, like, Jeff, we all know, is one mm-hmm. of the greatest musical minds that I've ever met. Or, you know, yeah. every number one gun record, everything he's ever put out is is genius. Um, yeah, number one gun is Emery's first connection to a, an out-of-town band, and we became unbelievably tight like the day we met them and never stopped being very tight with, with, with those guys. Chris Keen played you know, in number one gun and is in Emory now. And Chico is the place on in the United States where we know the most people period. Like it is the place. If we're going to go hang somewhere, we know everybody in Chico. I mean, it's like, it feels like our, it almost, we know more people in Chico. Emory has more relationships in Chico collectively total than in Seattle, probably for some reason. It just is that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. So then, um, when, when we were looking at who was going to produce the record, um, we had, you know, we had all of these huge <laughs> ambitions. We're like, yeah, we'd love to get like Aaron Sprinkle to do it or, you know, and, and everyone was there was like, whoa, 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 you know, let's, <laughs> and then they said, um, <laughs> you know, let's slow this down here, um, Canada. And, uh, so we, um, somebody had proposed, um, uh, Jimmy probably had proposed Jeff cause he was, he was producing and doing stuff. And, uh, and so we were like, okay, cool. Like most of the stuff he's done, like nothing's really been heavy. And I remember Jeff recorded, he wrote a song and recorded like, like basically what would be you know, similar to a style of cry of the afflicted and sent it to us. And we were all just like, boom, that's, that's the guy we, he we did that just this. to get the gig. He's like, oh, yeah. I can do heavy. Watch this. Exactly. I still nice. have it on my computer. I yeah, I love say, it. Can I you get it? Send it somewhere. to me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I'll play it right here. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll dig it up. But yeah, it's just this, uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know. It's like 40 seconds long or something, maybe a minute. Mm. And, wow. uh, yeah, it was just the, as soon as we did it, it was, or as soon as he sent it, it was like, yeah, this is, this will be a great fit. And it ended up being a awesome experience. He's just had so much fun. And same thing with Chico, you know, like hanging out with like, you know, Luke and the Rogers and, you know, just all the, the connections there. We had so much fun when we were down there. Yeah, it's a fun, fun place. Um, that's great. And so back to Ryan, how did you mm-hmm. guys get, uh, you know, who was your A&R and first record? How did the record deal go down and all that? Um, so I'm trying to remember like the timeline for this. I distinctly remember we had a, we had a demo version of Vanishings, which was, um, like the kind of a, a single we had on Great White Whale, um, that was just recorded on like a 24 track digital recorder, um, with Charles's demo vocals over it. And I don't know how um, we got it, but Jimmy was our contact too. Um, and we actually were at Warp Tour in Vancouver. Um, it's funny that we have pretty similar stories, but his is Seattle and ours is Vancouver. So I think it was in 2006, um, either 2006 or 2007, um, because we played Warp Tour at Stutterfly 2005. And then the next summer we were back just visiting, kind of saying what's up to people. And then we, our paths crossed with Jimmy. And I think there was some sort of introduction. And I don't know if it was through James, you guys or not, but um, we, we got them the once the one song and he kind of took it. And I know he was pretty fresh on the A&R um, route as well. Um, and he was super stoked. Um, and then from there, he, he kind of took it up the chain. Um, and I know, um, I, we didn't have a record yet, um, that we had the one song, um, but we had a little bit of, you know, back history with Stutterfly and kind of what we had done there. So that definitely helped us leverage, um, our our side of the deal. Um, and I remember at the time, James, I don't know if you can speak in this too, it was, it was a little bit of weirdness because, um, you know, they were getting signed with with solid state and we didn't want to like, you know, ruffle the feathers because, um, our path was, as we kind of went along, our path made more sense to kind of be with tooth and nail um, just because of, you know, our band style and whatever else. Um, But yeah, it was, um, I feel like it was a pretty quick process to kind of get, um, you know, the, the paper signed and get everything kind of sorted. And Jamie was like really in our corner um, the whole time. Like he was such an amazing A&R to bring us on board and, 
he was a really big advocate for us. And he was actually the guy that got us hooked up with our manager, Mark LeFay, um, at the time. Oh, too. another Mark LeFay, Jimmy Ryan. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we can talk about that after. But um, side note, I actually just listened to the, your bonus section with Mark LeFay, and I was just so stoked um, yeah. because I was like, oh, man. Um, such a great dude. And I actually talked to him a couple months ago, but I was like, man, it's so awesome that you had a section for Mark LeFay. Cause gotcha. he's just like incredible guy. And I don't think a lot of people realize like what a big part he's played in. Huge. I mean, Hey, today, especially, but just like so many other people's lives as well. So, um, but yeah, um, the nice thing was for our situation is that we had some songs done, but um, we weren't in the same situation as, as James. Like I can imagine how burnt out he was like, this is our time to actually kind of write the record that we always wanted. And we ended up doing um, once everything was kind of thumbs up, we ended up recording uh, locally with our friend, Travis Saunders. Um, and he, uh, him and another guy who I'm not going to name for the sake of it um, did the record um because they had like a music um production company at the time and it was kind of their first kick at trying to you know do something big um outside of local and um travis has had a huge part in all of our bands uh lives um growing up like he recorded about faces album like for james's punk band he recorded all the uncle ed stutterfly stuff um to this date with the exception of the full length we did with maverick um, and tooth and nail was great. They're like, you know what? Like, if you want to go with your guy and you trust him, like have at her. Um, I mean, it's a lot cheaper too than trying to go with someone else. So it was, a, again, it was a similar, um, situation where we kind of went with people who, you know, weren't the biggest and best, um, you know, producers out there, no slight to Jeff, cause we all know he's a genius, but at that time he was definitely starting out, um, on his career as a producer. Um, yeah. so we had a similar trajectory in that sense that we were, um, kind of starting from scratch with, you know, people that really wanted to make it happen. Um, and then, yeah, we went and did, uh, recorded uh, great whale locally and went from there and Jeff actually ended up mixing the record because of nice turbulence. <laughs> so that's that's fascinating um to think about the, all these connections because i wasn't thinking how many there there just are but like when i met mm -hmm. jeff in 2002 i said this guy I said what is this guy he showed me how to work like he was recording he came to our house and they stayed with us for like three days and i was mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to record on these like eight track recorders and stuff like that and he did some recording on our stuff like while we were at work that day in our room with our equipment i came and said what the hell how, how did you make mm -hmm. it sound like that but it was my stuff at my <laughs> place i was trying to record it's like what the yeah. heck? And, and that was it was a big breakthrough for me like you know just to even just observe that so it's so cool that other people know he the talent you know recognize that and it turned out to really be true um that's that's amazing and i love thinking of jimmy and chad johnson just out there scouting and finding a pocket of talent up in Columbia, you know in Kelowna, yeah. up in bc he's like get you know, Jimmy's trying to start his, and it doesn't, he doesn't turn out to be a A&R a &R guy. It's just a, a phase, I, I suppose, but he's, mm -hmm. there, he's out there hunting for talent and stumbles on you guys and, and t consecutive days. And that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. All in the Northwest, West coast kind of little pocket all, you know, that's awesome stuff. That's very, yeah. very cool. That's very cool. All driving distance stuff from, from Seattle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ryan, I was thinking about it. That might've been when you, you might've met Jimmy because um, right as we were, in the process of getting signed, um, we, were, so. we were trying to line up where he could see us play. 
and um and there was i think it was amberlynn was coming through Kelowna. okay and we ended up getting on to opening the amberlynn show and then mm-hmm. jimmy came up for it and that's kind of the first time we he met the rest okay. of the guys in the band and right yeah and, and so that might have been that might have been where you met him previous to the the warp tour, tour stuff. maybe that's what it was yeah that would make sense that was a couple years ago now <laughs> it's funny as you're talking like i think about all the connections like um like our new project that we have jordan chase produced it and, and recorded it and mm-hmm. even when we were when we were sending demos for cry the afflicted to jeff and to to tooth and nail we were tracking it in jordan's apartment on like this little old system that he had so um just the same out. thing that we wrote like both our records on yeah it's just everything is just yeah. so you know and i think like you know just the interconnection of the band like jason who's who from secret of whisper and stutterfly was the best man in my wedding i was the best man in his wedding like we're <laughs> this is the bands are so crazy connected yeah it's funny so both of your bands also in the zoomed out perspective didn't get big enough as they should and didn't I don't know what didn't happen, but some stuff didn't happen um, mm-hmm. for both of you guys. So I don't know what all amount of touring you got to do. And I really mm-hmm. don't remember what made either of your bands end. And I just lost track. And here we are today. But mm-hmm. I, we've taken both your bands on tour. I don't think it was at the same time, though, right? Separate tours. And, and Ryan weren't on that one. But yeah. what do you remember about those? And what other touring, um, what other touring were you all able to do in those eras? So I'll speak, I'll speak to both kind of things you said. So we came out with you guys, you brought us out with, um, with as cities burn mayday parade and pierce the veil. And we did a full, (laughs) yeah, we did that full run. It was like a, that was a long run too. Like it was, yeah, it was a full U S and mayday parade and pierce the veil. And you know who we turned down to not bring was a day to remember. (laughs) <laughs> who was trying to get on May and we said we had Mayday Parade or Day to Remember, didn't know yeah, who either yeah. one was, and they and they're both trying to get on the tour, and we're like it's a toss up, and we just went with Mayday Parade because it was a little lighter, yeah, and then we and said and then Pierce the Veil opened for them, yeah, and then it was like and then I don't know as City's Burn played, I don't I think as I don't remember who played in what order do you I. Th- they, no, I know we opened, that's for sure. But Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> but then I don't remember even what the order was. As City's Burn yeah. might have played after. I think Mayday Prey was main support. And I don't know if Pierce the Veil didn't play before As City's Burn. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. Yeah, I, I honestly can't. No, I, I think As City's Burn was after us. I think yeah, I recall, so. yeah. Probably so. But, yeah, but so- Pierce the Veil and Mayday Prey still have not taken us back out yet. So come on. Still still pathetic. They're huge. There's a lot more bands on that list that have not returned the favor that are 10 times the size we ever were. But It was awesome. I texted um, Jaime and Vic just last week. My son picked up a Pierce the Veil shirt from Hot Topic and was wearing it. So I took a picture of him and (laughs) sent it off to him. Um, But when you you talk about like the bands not maybe doing as much as they, they could have, I think there's just like a barrier to entry being a Canadian band and just challenges of touring in the States that mm-hmm. like, I know for us, we toured a bunch, like we did a bunch of U S tours playing with like bands that end up doing well, like, you know, Memphis Mayfire and, and stuff. But we would like, like, I remember like some low moments where I'm on tour and there's zero people <laughs> at the show. Like, Augusta, Georgia, we had zero people come to the show and there was like five touring <laughs> bands or something. 
Um, So I, I, and just because that barrier to entry, how hard it was to tour. And then when we eventually got these tours that we were just like draining money, like to the point where we basically, we basically had to stop doing it because we were so financially ruined that um, we just couldn't really, we didn't know how to basically recover from it. Like when, when the band, when we officially said we were done, we split up like tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt that we basically each, <laughs> each took and had to had to deal with. Oh, like man. just and you know it's like when you're trying you buy a van and a trailer and you buy good gear and you're out there like just because you really believe. I mean, you have every reason money. to believe that it's going to pay off, and there's no way you're not all in. And why are you not going to get the gear and do the? Yeah. You can't say you know you. Yeah, I can totally, and you, you know, you got paid a hundred dollars a night, yeah, probably or something like yep, that, and for sure. So yeah, that was that was really what it was for us. Is that just it was almost like we got signed a little too late, and you know, we'd already been doing all of these tours. We we're already not in a great, you know, spot for, you know, for morale and and how mm-hmm. much money we'd been putting out and how the effect on our families and all that sort of stuff, and then. It was just like a little bit too late for us. Speaking for Cry the Afflicted anyways, I think that was a lot of what it came down well, to. Let's stay with that mm-hmm. one more second because that that brings me to what it's, I swear to you, this is probably, when I really think about it, it's not like the band or the stage playing or the stuff that I remember the most, but the probably the most memorable, wonderful thing that's ever happened on tour that our band all agrees was... Um, was around a, a very low moment for your band if you'll recall when your trailer and van got towed yeah do you remember that story and will you tell it because in yeah. our memory that's just one of the coolest that's just what we we that story comes up a good bit for us because it was the one totally. of the most fun fun um nights uh, you know ever yeah so that yeah so i and you'll have to fill in some of the details i'll I will. talk about the i'll talk about the low point of it so we were yeah. with san diego right <laughs> We were playing yeah. the, the Glass House. Is that what's called? Yeah. Well, that, we, the San Diego, uh, I don't remember what venue it was, but Pomona is the Glass House. In, okay, Pomona. So, yeah. oh, maybe that's, no, because we yeah. were staying with Aaron at mm-hmm. Aaron's place in, in San Diego there. Um, yeah, it was between San Diego and Pomona or whatever. Yeah. And so uh, we woke up in the morning and we go out and our van and trailer are gone. And by Aaron, you mean Aaron Rogers? Aaron Rogers, yeah. Right. He, we went, that was kind of the Chico connection we, um, Aaron was in the off season when we were, when we were recording our records. So he would, we would hang out and we'd play Frisbee golf and all that sort of stuff with him and Luke. Um, and so we always made a connection. Like when we were out in green Bay, we'd stay with them on tour and, and uh, we stayed um, at his place. I, was Luke on tour with us for the. Luke did some tours with us, but I don't remember if it was that mm. one. I don't think it was that one. No, okay. that was not yeah, the tour so, Luke did. Yeah. With Cause us, Luke, later, Luke came but... out with us as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, we anyways had our van and trailer towed um, from Aaron's house. From Aaron's house. Aaron's house, yeah, we were parked yeah. in like a cul-de-sac, like down the street, mm-hmm. and and uh, and so there was already like you know it when you when you think like you know all the stuff I talked about like the money issues and all that, and and then mm-hmm. here we get on this big tour and we're like, you know, and our album was just coming out. I don't know if you remember that tour. We were selling our album for five bucks just uh, and and we were like going out in the crowd every day and just like basically guilt tripping people into buying it. So it would help with like our first, first week, first month, you know, sales. Um, and, uh, anyway, so yeah, van got towed and, and I don't remember, 
I don't, I don't even remember like how we got it back and what the process was of all of that. Um, trying to remember, but I remember it being like some, you know, probably not a huge amount of money, but a money that was just like, I remember the amount to us at the point where, yeah, it was 700 and something dollars specifically was, was the total and it was, um, you guys, you know, you got it back by the time you were telling us the story, you had made, you had made it to the next gig, but you showed up to the gig in the, (laughs) in the most, devastated kicked puppies i have ever seen in my whole life the most pathetic like disposition that you could ever you could ever imagine and you had because you had it had gotten towed you didn't think it was right or justified or whatever it was and you were at this you know you were struggling and that we everybody knew that in whatever ways that you were and it was 700 and something dollars to get just to get it out of the toe to pick it up and make the gig and i don't remember even i guess you had the money or it was debt or whatever it was but it was just i mean it was just like terrible like you're in the lowest possible state yeah yeah you 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 should probably tell the rest of the story yeah i'll tell the rest of it because it's clear to me starting at that point but um and this is when we are doing really you know relatively well we're on a bus we're making very good money we're paying you guys like a hundred dollars a night but we're making you know to us it was good money and we had a bus and we had crew and we had big shows and they just it just was going good for us now at the time i didn't think it made sense that aaron Rodgers couldn't pay for your toe That's what that was the dis- the distinct thing that here, struck me. You know, here, like, I, if I remember this correctly, I think Luke was at the place in San Diego and Aaron wasn't. Maybe Aaron so wasn't I remember, there that night. I yeah. don't. I, I, he would have been probably out in Green Bay, and we were and we were just Maybe. staying with Luke. I don't. I, don't, I, don't I, I think Aaron. I remember that Aaron what might have been there that though. In, in either case, yeah. I, I, I'm not so sure, but I. I because sometimes Aaron would be there and sometimes he wouldn't depend on when you'd go through, you know, when we'd stay there. Cause we'd stay there too, a bunch of times and stuff like that. But, um, but I thought surely if it got towed from Aaron's house, that, that like, I, you know, $700 for somebody that makes a lot of money. But then nonetheless, I thought, well, we make, and we, we were immediately, as soon as you guys left, we said, well, we were going to, I mean, we have to pay, we just feel bad. We just have to give them $700. We just had to give them some money. Should we pay for it? Do we, is that on us? And that $700 was a lot of money to us still then too, in, in relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. But um, we immediately were like, well, should we just give them $700? Does that make sense? Is Aaron going to pay him back? Probably maybe Aaron's going to pay him back. We shouldn't do it or whatever. I, I got to just jump in for one second. And a full disclosure, Aaron was very generous with us in yeah. different <laughs> times too. He's like, uh, so he, he definitely, uh, you know, we probably had that, uh, that air about us lots of times where people are like, man, I got to, Get some money. <laughs> guys really down on right now. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So you have an act that you work out to just get people. Yeah, I, I get it. Now. Yeah, you like just you just old, go yeah. around projecting the, yeah. the neediness. Hey guys, put on the up. sad face. We're gonna try and yeah. see what we yeah. get out of these guys. Get your worst clothes out. We're doing this. Uh, we were just in a mode of and um. We just, I don't remember exactly how, but we always play games. We had a casino on our bus one time. We used to that, run a craps table. Was that on that, that was tour? My, that was that, that right. was that tour. Cause I remember yeah. like, and just, just not to, 
I remember that tour. Uh, Toby had the back lounge of the bus because you guys were sharing a bus with Bad Cities Burn. Mm-hmm. And then Toby had the back lounge. And I bet you like at least a third of the tour, I stayed with you guys on the bus in the back lounge. Mm-hmm. And I was always there. But I always remember the casino, like the... <laughs> we were running <laughs> games. built out of cardboard and... Yeah, we had we made a craps table, we put felt on it, drew the lines, and had two or three people running it. And we everybody would come in, we'd play for dollars. And I would I like I like making games. I just like getting people to do things together and like running the game. And I acted as the bank, and me and Dave would act run the games in the <laughs> casino. And we had a blackjack table in the back, and Aaron Lunsford would be dealing blackjack. And then me and Dave would be running craps in the front of the bus and all the tour and people would come on May Day Parade and everybody, and they would just gamble. And at the end of the night, we would go, are we up or are we down? And sometimes we'd be down two or $300 and sometimes we had made two or $300 on just running games for the tour. But it's like, we don't have to go to the casino and all the money stays at least on the tour. So the house taking it. And we were trying to figure out how to run the games and some, you know, anyway, we were just game doing stuff like that. And we were just in that mindset and we said, okay, Here's what we'll do. We're going to play a game with them to try to get this money back. And um, we decided to create a game from scratch. And it we basically redid the game, Deal or No Deal. You know, the game show, Deal yeah. or No Deal. We basically mm-hmm. built that game from scratch and adjusted the dollar amounts in the briefcases from $0 to $1,000. <laughs> and set up briefcases and then had a giant crowd on the bus James is the representative, is the player for the, and we're gonna, you're going to get somewhere between zero and $1,000, but you had to play this game, and whatever amount it comes out to, that's the amount we're going to give you. <laughs> it could have so, very well been $0. It could have been, and, and, it, and yeah. And so we, we um, put out this, like the 50 briefcases with different amounts across the spectrum, and they have to pick the cases if you know how the game goes, and then it comes down, and Dave ran the game, and I was the banker, and I would calculate, and I just did the best I could to like make the offers, like you can take this amount now, or you can keep opening cases. Knowing that, and then so it's like you're going along the way, and then at some point, James picks a case, thousand dollars gone, thousand dollars off the table. Some at some point, you get the zero, the zeros off, woo, okay. But then by the end, it comes, and and this we have a big crowd on the bus, and I promise you, is that most tense? It that's why I remember it so clearly because it's the most real, the stakes are so real in, in that moment, and it's like they're trying to just win their money for their toe yeah. and we have a can just are about to give away a thousand dollars or something and i don't know how to feel about it all but the crowd is there <laughs> and it's like real it's just real as it gets and we had we just went through the process none of us knowing how it was going to work out and if they like would have felt terrible if you got like eighty dollars or zero we just toyed with you and you can tell it <laughs> mattered and so we just but we just plowed through the game and it's like make an offer after this amount of cases and that and i don't remember the exact amounts of cases but it got to, um you know it, it took some bad turns at some points and you got very close to the end and then we wound up having a you took a deal toward the very end do you remember how it actually played out or how no, much it was i, I can't um like it was, I, was it five hundred dollars? Is that it was over five hundred? It, it, it was almost the amount of the toe. Yeah, you know, and it worked. And it might have been between five and the amount of the toe. But yeah. yeah, and 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 it was it was very very treacherous at some of those points <laughs> where it looked like it was going to go the other way. And I thought you were going to 
you know, the, it was like this, you were going to keep going for it. Like there's yeah. magic in the air. And I was thinking, oh my God, they're going to get this $12 case. You know, and, and I knew which cases were what. And Dave and I knew oh. which ones. Just, it was so tense. And it was the yeah. most fun I just have ever had yeah. in the last 20 years was that. I just never had yeah. a better time. Never. That's awesome. And because we felt like, I don't know, but that was, I just thought that was, was, was great. So it didn't solve <laughs> yeah. all your problems, but, oh, for um, sure. yeah, but that, that was, that was awesome. Yeah. We remember like there's tons of memories from that tour. Like I remember there was a, um, a, a firework fight at one mm-hmm. point where we were, that was in Joplin. No, yeah. no, I don't remember where that was, but oh, yeah. some place where there's like a, I remember there's like a crashed plane on the hillside by the venue. I don't remember. Um, I don't know, but some were down there. And I remember you guys taking, like, being very generous, taking all the bands out. I think we went to, like, Buffalo Wild Wings or something. And that was just, like, a super fun night. All everybody. And the last night of that tour, we did create a giant fire at Tremont. Is that, was that tour? Do you remember that? Mm. The, we made a big, we played, the last night was at Tremont. We made a big fire and all kind of stuff there. That's right. And Tyler Schwent walked in the fire and yeah. all kind of crazy <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> So I, I remember uh, some of those moments and, yeah. and all those bands. And then I guess the other link is Luke Rogers was with us on the whole Secret and Whisper tour. He wrote on the whole tour with us, and that was mm-hmm. and so Jordan and um from Secret and Whisper and Luke were already close. And then Jordan mm-hmm. just kind of rolled with us a ton, you know, on that tour. And I know you weren't there, Ryan, but that was tour was oh, yeah. a very wild, very wild tour that has its own stories that we yeah. <laughs> won't share today but um but i but i and that would have been so tell me about the opportunities you did and didn't get and that yeah, that absolutely. time the tour i'm talking about that we did with secret and whisper was basically at the at the end of, of the band yeah that was definitely the last official tour and i mean thankfully i got to spend lots of time with luke too we had the same experiences and you know we were fortunate enough to stay with him in pacific beach when we were down there and that was always just an adventure in itself um but yeah um when we, the first tour we did a Secret and Whisper um, was actually with Far Less, who were a tooth and nail artist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that we, we ended up doing like probably six weeks with them. And they're just like the greatest people. Um, and we did a tour in all these places that we've never been to. And Far Less, like, you know, had a decent amount of pulling. But for us, it was like lots of, lots of crickets, um, a couple of the shows. But as bad as that was um, and the amount of money that we lost, it was like the best thing we possibly could have done because we were pretty good at playing our set after that. Um, But then, yeah, 2008 was kind of our, our big touring year as a band because our record was coming out. Jeff and number one gun um, actually took us out. um, And I think January of that year, because he had a record coming out too, um, which is really cool because that's how we met you know, the guys in Brighton. Um, and then, um, I think Mm -hmm. they were basically a lot of us backing band, but they played, um, on that tour as well. Um, and then Sever Ties was a band that Jeff had done as well. So they were on that first tour and then us, um, and they were just an incredible band. It's too bad that nothing more works out with them, but, um, that was one of the first ones we like first big tours we did. Um, and then we also were fortunate enough the tour still remains. We did that, I think, for six weeks. It was them and yep. Gwen Stacy. That's um, Mark LaFay. And I still, joint, still remains. Yeah, exactly. And that's actually kind of when we we um, started connecting with Mark through that through that process, um, which is really cool. Um, and they're still remains guys are incredible. I still stay in touch with lots of them to this day. And 
Um, and then after that, we had some like just random stuff. And then our summer was with Dance Gavin Dance, um, Estella Colobly, um, Lower Definition, who a lot of those guys went on to form of Mice and Men, who are just a massive band now. Um, I think what else there was. Oh, yeah. And then uh, towards the end of the year, we were fortunate enough we got to play Loud Park in Japan, um, which is a huge festival. So it was like us and um, Mushiga, Venge Sevenfold, Molly wow. Crew, um, Dragon Force. Um, Crazy. Who else was on there? Um, so, yeah, that was for me, speaking selfishly, um, that was kind of the beginning of the end for me because we, we at the end of this year, um, which sounds insane, but um, you know, we kind of cap off this year. You know, we go play this festival that's like 25 to 30,000 people in Japan, and it's just like this crazy experience. And um, at that point, we all been going, you know, hard at being a touring band, um, for you know, six, six plus years between labels and bands and name changes and member changes and all that kind of stuff. And um, we were starting to see a, a little bit of the um, difficulties that James talked about with just being a Canadian band. And every time we go on tour, we got to spend $2,000 to get work visas and bills are mounting up and all that kind of stuff. So um, after I played that festival, I was like, I don't know if it's ever going to get better than this. Um, and I mean, I was like early twenties and like, unfortunately too jaded at that point. And, um, so yeah, for me personally, that was kind of the beginning of the end. And I, um, I got a really good career opportunity kind of discussed with me. Um, so right before we left to, um, do teenage fantasy with Jeff down Chico, um, which is our second record, um, I kind of put it out to the universe and I was like, all right, if I'm going to get this job, um, then that means I should do that. But if I don't, that means I'm going to, you know, do music till the wheels fall off. Magic um, eight ball. Exactly. Um, and I got the job and I was like, all right. So I had that conversation with the guys being like, you know, I love doing this. Um, I'm going to do this record. I'm going to do whatever I can, but like, I'm just kind of at that jump point where, you know, everything's starting to, to uh, pile up and it just, you know, I have to make a decision. And then everyone else kind of, it started happening with everyone else too. So that Emory tour was the one that I wasn't on regrettably um, was the last quote unquote tour for Secret <coughs> Whisper um, and a big transition point. And then we did a couple like one-off festivals and stuff after that, but yeah. So really um, the com really the common thread here is that both of our bands last tour was with Emory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nail in the coffin. <laughs> Pierce yeah, the veil and the, the uh, of our Mayday Parade got all the juice and, and drained from you or something. I don't know. Yeah. What What was the job opportunity? Uh, so I, I worked for Disney um, for uh, basically like an online virtual world called Club Penguins. Um, and we used to do that um, kind of when we were home from touring just doing like customer support and moderating that kind of stuff. Cause it was based out of Kelowna uh, as a small company and then got acquired by Disney. So, wow. um, I just got, uh, approached about, um, interviewing for like a, like an upper management position. And yeah, I just, I was kind of humming and hawing about it. And, you know, I was at the end of like, you know, what felt like an eternity of being on the road and, the grass is always greener and all that kind of stuff. And we all know how that feels. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, they just, 
kind of caught me at the right time and I just made a decision. So, I mean, you know, it, it's kind of set me up for the trajectory of my life now, which I wouldn't change, but, um, yeah, it was definitely a huge adjustment for me when all that came to pass. Yeah. yeah, it seems like that would be the case and is common. And so did you both have, and James has become a firefighter and James and I have kept in touch, um, mm-hmm. some at least, but, um, you know, I'm curious about those adjustments and if that, how th- those feel and go and, you know, we don't have a ton of time here, but let's get to in yeah. the arena and what, what makes you want to get back at it. How's that relate to the old and what's different this time? And mm-hmm. tell me all about it because the music is awesome. So it feels exciting. Like you guys are obviously excited to have a new band mm-hmm. to be doing stuff. So that's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. But what is that? The, the, the the period in between is how many years it's uh 2009 you know over a decade yeah so for for me i think we the tour we did with you guys would have been 2008 i think um i think that's when it was and i came back and then pursued the fire service like like hard um and uh so really in the arena is the new band and uh it's really on garrett garrett was always like i don't know for a year probably was sending us messages being like we just got closer to two maybe yeah just like we should we should get together um and kind of the always idea was like about face our original punk rock band which was nick uh garrett and i from cry the afflicted and then jason from secret and whisper um and that and the the, so the idea was always to kind of get that original lineup together but now i play guitar and ryan is incredible drummer um in the mix so it was always talked about to get him in as the drummer and uh and for jason and i to play guitar um so it was just like a couple years of of garrett constantly messaging like you know let's get together let's do some you know punk rock cover tunes and just hang out (coughs) excuse me um and so that's yeah that's really what it started and then um it was right during the middle of covid and uh me being a firefighter we had pretty crazy um work restrictions as far as like you know ability to interact with other people so the guys had a, the first jam um and i wasn't i was actually there on zoom watching it because <laughs> i mm-hmm. i couldn't participate um <clears throat> i think they they did like a, a slick shoe song a, nice strung, a out. strung out song and um and uh and then that kind of was like a kick in the butt so jason and i both started coming up with some ideas and then i started writing a ton and then the next time we jammed was all of us and we basically just started putting out songs like just becoming really kind of naturally and it wasn't very long like it was it was a couple maybe a couple practices where we're like oh this is actually this is turning out way this doesn't suck yeah, it's turning out way different than we thought. It was just going to be just messing around and it just kind of reignited. Like I didn't play guitar for at least a decade. Not even just, at all? No, maybe just like grabbing the acoustic off the hook on the wall every once in a while. But, you know, that was, I was just solely focused on, on becoming a firefighter is, is not, it's not easy. It's very um, competitive. And I was just kind of fully in that world. Um, but yeah, so when we started doing this, it was like just reignited everything. And then also to be able to do it where there's no pressure. Like, you know, we're all dads and, you know, mm. have careers and families and uh, and stuff. There's not the pressure of, 
you know, of being like, I'm going to go out on the road 200 days a year. And it's just, we're doing mm-hmm. it for fun, but um, it just started, it, it started turning out way better than, than we kind of all anticipated. Um, yeah. yeah, that's great. And were you, Ryan, did you play any drums in the, or, or put that whole thing down? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I had a, uh, I had an opposite experience actually. So as much as I quit quote unquote, secret and whisper, um, I stayed super active. I probably lasted about three months not doing any music stuff. And then I was like, all right, let's do this again. So um, there was a bit of a trend. Like, I don't feel like I ever kind of just like closed the door on music. It just, it just transitioned to looking differently. So um, oddly enough, Jordan and I started another band called Shreddy Kruger, which was start off as oh, a joke. I know. Um, I, yeah, I know that. I saw it on Spotify the other day. It was in a similar yeah. artist too and stuff. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I checked it out. So we started that as it's kind of a joke. And then we're like, Oh, and then we somehow got signed. I don't know. Um, and we just wanted to like put out music. Um, so we did a couple of shows with, with that and put out a, a bunch of records and kind of did that on the side and whatever else. And I, I, I've done like a ton of session work over the last like 10 years, just for like solo artists and bands and, and whatever else. So I stay really busy with that. And then, what else is there? I, I played in a band called Spirit Box for about almost two years um, because they were they were local, um, and um, I one one thing led to another, and I knew the bass player that was in the band, and so I, I did a bunch of stuff with them, um, you know, a bunch of videos and a live session in a studio, and um, and then it got to the point where they wanted to get really uh, take the plunge and start touring. Um, like full time, um, and that was the beginning of 2020. Um, and at that point, I had a nine month old, and I was like, "Listen, guys, like this has been awesome, but um, you know the nature of your band's changing, and I just can't be that guy." Um, and they've since to go on to be like the biggest wow. band out there. Um, yeah, which yeah, is totally. I'm I'm stoked for them, but it's just not a world I can live in anymore. Um, was that hard to, to were you? I mean, do you return? at their success seeing their success or no not seeing their success but i feel like that was the first time um i felt like i was kind of giving up on on a dream like i didn't feel that with um with secret whisper because it was just like at that point in time mm. um it was just the best thing to do that was a hard decision because that was the culmination of like you know me being a responsible parent and, and husband and all that kind of stuff and and just making that decision um to be like the the best guy can be um and you know put other people's needs before my own and it would have been awesome to go on tour in europe for six weeks uh, and do that kind of stuff but um that decision was probably harder because of just that reason it's like this is you know finally finally kind of hanging up for for good um in that respect because i feel like you always like have that sense of like well maybe you could just whatever you know what i mean um but the same time um it was good because i have a different perspective in the sense of like you know playing music with with the guys um what i really found that i wanted was just playing music um at a serious level but it doesn't have to be a serious um you know approach in that like i want to i want to play music with people who love music and are passionate and and we'll put the time in but it doesn't have to be at the point where you're you know leaving everything behind to do that so 
Yeah, there's um, more options than ever, and you can exactly. certainly do things that are digital only and go digital first and any combination, yeah. and those combinations can change. For and sure. So it's, I mean, there's every possible thing, and to know what's right for you and not right um, mm-hmm. and be able to be at peace with that is 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 very, it's a good, a good way to be. Yeah, absolutely. It, it took some time, um, but I mean, after that, like, now within the arena um you know what we're doing with this and we're all on the same page is what we want like we want to put out music we want to record we want to play shows we want to try to do some bigger shows we want to try to play some short runs where it makes sense with all of our lives and even like we've been kind of you know outside of that dusting off a little bit of stuff with secret and whisper where it works and in the chaos awesome. of everyone's schedules and whatever awesome. else and and james has been helping with that too so our lives are further intertwined but um, like you said, in today's day and age, um, I feel like it looks different. You don't need to get in a van for 300 days a year. You don't have to put yourself into crippling debt just to get out and do what you love. You can be smart about it and still get the enjoyment um, that you want out of it too. Well, it's all really exciting. I mean, things, I mean, it's exciting times just to know that the kind of music that we do, it had a moment. Um, and then there's been some time has passed and it's, something like having another moment now and it just makes it easier to 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 see that like your spotify page is there people are listening to it like whoever thought they you never thought that would be the case then that it would still be an active thing especially without you being participating in it but bands and records and sounds are you know they come from the idea space and they live in the collective space and then we as humans have some interface with it and i didn't mm-hmm. ever think of that at the time i thought it was just what i is mine or i'm it's me but it's not it's this other thing that you can yeah. cooperate with and reconnect with later and you get to play a part in but it you know mm-hmm. your both your bands exist and continue without you and i don't think we ever thought of it that way um mm-hmm. and it's and so it's reinvigorating to a lot of people that that there's can be a resurgence or new growth and new bands. And I mean, mm-hmm. I think we'll continue to see that. So I'm just, you know, it's exciting stuff that people just get in the collaborative mindset and now being mature, do it for the right, I guess more so the right reasons, I guess in some ways, or just with less pretense or less, uh, I don't, I don't know what all the words are, but it sounds like you guys organically, it, organic is the word that it does, that does come to mind at least. And it sounds like the way you write songs and what's good about the process in itself, mm. you guys can just enjoy and be wherever, wherever that leads. And that tends to make, I mean, that's what tends to make the best stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I think now that we don't, we actually just talked about this the other night. Um, now that we don't have this like looming responsibility of trying to make it, in a band over us it's so freeing in that sense because i know i've been guilty of it and i feel like we all have been you know being on a tour and you, you're not enjoying it because you're like man what's next like what's the next step we can get to and like what this tour is good but i hope our next one's bigger because we need to do this and you have that anxiousness and 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 uh set of expectations out there and and now it's just like you know what guys like I'm just happy that we can all get in the same room together and um, we can write music collaboratively and jam stuff and like get on stage and do something. And, and um, that one, one part, I think it was in actually in Mark LaFay's um, uh, interview with you, just talking about like, how cool is it going to be when our kids can come to our shows? Like our kids are all kind of getting old enough to come to our shows and like see all this stuff that we've um, 
kind of built up over the last like 20 years and you can experience what our life was like um, previously. And I think he summarized that so well, like that's just such a, uh, an amazing point now with what we can do. Yeah. You, you can't see it at the time, but there's cycles and generations and repeats and ups and yeah. downs. And like to, to be able to have that perspective is it's satisfying. I mean, I don't know. It's just part of being old, I guess, but cool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was pretty funny, pretty funny and pretty special. We did, um, we played our first show as in the arena a few months ago now, um, and with comeback kid and cancer bats when they were coming through on tour. And, uh, we had seven kids in the nice. front from all, all of our kids from all the yeah. guys in the band. So it's pretty <laughs> yeah. funny. There's like, it's like a hardcore show. And uh, everyone's like, what's with all these kids <laughs> wandering around? So yeah, it's pretty cool <laughs> yeah. for, uh, for all of them because none of them got to experience um, us in our music days and the touring days. So then for all of them, mm -hmm. you know, ages, like how old's Oliver? He's three and a half. So, you know, from three and a half up to, I think, Jason's uh, oldest daughter's 11 or 12. So mm -hmm. kind of a span of uh, ages there, which is, was pretty, pretty special to yeah, we're there. not quite there yet, but I'm pretty sure, and I would just say I'm pretty interested in observing the generation of, I don't know what it, it is, but we're, I know that we're right at the cusp of people that we know that are talented children actually being, um, doing things. Now, I'm not saying they'll do what we do or play mm -hmm. with us exactly, mm -hmm. but I do feel that there's some very talented uh, people with good DNA and good ways of being with their children. I just really excited to see where some of the talented people I know's children go and what they, how they interface mm -hmm. with collaboration and creativity like that. We're not quite there, but there's a lot of people with almost, you know, teenagers and things that yeah. are people that I know that are going to be coming into that in this next decade. And, you know, I don't, yeah, that's to me, I find that very, very interesting. I'm paying attention, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you guys. Let's listen to some uh in the arena and let people hear it. And what um you know, I talked to James a little bit about it and I like how you have some ideas and some plans and are creating some media, but it's 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 coming out organically. There's nothing exact by the time this is out, maybe there's at least a, a song up or a website or an email list or what, 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 as of now, mm -hmm. which will be next week. Cause we're yeah. you know, basically a week from now. What would we want people to do who are interested in, in the arena? Yeah. So right now we have all social media. Um, we've started and just done a few things. So like we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have, um, uh, Twitter, all that stuff. I think everything is in the arena official is kind of the, is the handle for everything. Um, we have a YouTube and, and, uh, we, we were just discussing this last night. We're going to work our hardest to have a song, um, released, uh, probably through YouTube with, with some sort of a video component that'll be released when, um, when this episode comes out. Um, mm -hmm. and then we'll from there, we, it. yeah, well, yeah, we'll link it for sure. Yeah, I'll put it in for sure. <laughs> um, and something that was kind of, uh, co uh, cool for us too, is, um, we have video footage from from recording the whole recording process of everybody. And then we actually did a bunch of interview work talking about kind of like the scene in Kelowna, all of our past bands. And we're going to compile that together into a short film um, that'll be released as well. That just kind of documents the recording process and, and that sort of stuff. Um, 
Well, which song can we play here now that'll probably be the one on YouTube? Or it could be a different one, but if you know, maybe we'll we'll go ahead with that one. Ryan, do you know the name of it? <laughs> it's the same. It's, it's song number two. Song number two. It's the song number two. It's the song number two. Song that I like guitar player and the drummer bought song titles. <laughs> okay. right? Doesn't matter. Deer in the headlights. It's the one song that goes, number two. Do, 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 do. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's the song that we felt like was the best, um, best summary of the band right now. Um, so it was kind of like a good introduction to um, what we're all about. And yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the interesting thing about this EP too is this, uh, we recorded five songs that we recorded with Jordan Chase. Uh, and they're the first five songs that we wrote. And we're releasing, we're not releasing them in this order, but when the EP goes up on Spotify, um, tracks one through five are in the order that we wrote them. Um, so cool. like the first song on the EP is the first song first song we wrote so um mm -hmm. it's kind of an interesting thing too is a lot of like i can think about previous bands you can write a few songs and get some of the kinks worked out and then you write a few more and then you're like oh we got to record this but for us we just wrote the five songs it. and then boom put it you know putting it out to the world and we've already got mm -hmm. you know almost you know four or five really good ideas for other stuff we're working out and awesome. we'll just keep pumping out more music. Can we can we plug Jordan's studio real quick? Yeah, um, absolutely. The recording is awesome. I love the recording and the songs are they're cool. I mean, so absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, Jordan's um studio his his producing recordings called Oodle Recordings. Um and yeah, he's just um he's just been on one for the last couple of years and he's actually it's been really cool because we've always known that he's a super talented guy and has a great ear for music but um he's been helping a ton of bands out and i think there's like four or five not more that have just gotten signed um you know through his efforts and obviously the band himself is a huge part of that but i know that um he's uh playing a big part in getting local bands out regional bands out getting them you know, recordings that sound incredible that have it, you know, his touch on it. Um, so we're, we're pretty stoked too, because, you know, I've, I've, I'm biased. I've, you know, played music with Jordan since I was 15, but um, we're just stoked to have him be able to do this for us and then future stuff. And yeah. So anyone out there needs recording, go hit up Jordan because you won't be disappointed. And what is his studio called or just look at it. It's name called Oodle Lolly. And we can, we'll, okay. we'll send you, it over we'll to you too. And it, it'll, he has a yeah. wide gambit yeah. of everything um, that he does there. So excellent. Well, you know, thank you guys. I'm stoked to hear it, and good luck. And we'll be in thank touch. You. Thanks for having and, us. Yeah, thanks um, so much. Yeah, Matt. it's really uh, appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, it's super fun to be able to do this with you, just with like you know the whole tooth and nail solid state connection, and then our connection mm -hmm. with with Emery and and all that. It's you know something that's kind of always been really special to us and near and dear to our hearts. So yeah, we were pretty, pretty stoked for this opportunity. And so thank you very much. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad it worked out and you know, we'll continue to be in touch and good luck to you. 